I would like to give to you something this morning. It's a gift to me. I pray it's a gift to you. Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. It's Christmas 2009, and this is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. Of all the things that we get for Christmas, those toys, and they're wonderful, and and people splurge on us, and it's great. But God gives us something that lasts even longer than the euphoria that we have when we first open those things up. Christmas time, is there anything quite like it? Festively decorated trees, twinkling lights, the sound of Christmas music. It truly is a joyous time of year. When things happen in your life and you wonder where God is, all I can tell you is is that He has a plan. And it's probably not going to be the same as yours, but if you'll trust Him through it and in the midst of it, I can't tell you that it will be better, but I can tell you with absolute certainty you will be better. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to the Christmas edition of Crosswalk. Christmas is a time of joy, but it can also mean crowded stores, overused credit cards, and too many Christmas cookies. Well, in the midst of the hustle and bustle and the shopping and the eating, we all struggle to keep the reason for the season in focus. And one of the ways we do that is by going back and reading again the accounts of the birth of Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to do today as Pastor Clay takes us to Luke chapter 2. And we see again the wonderful fulfillment of God's promise to send the Savior. As we look today at what may be a very familiar story, we're going to learn some new lessons that will encourage us and help us to trust God in our everyday lives. I want to look at the Christmas story and ask, are there some lessons that we can pull from this passage? Because you know, most of us probably know it. Maybe you've read it yourself, or you may have read it a thousand times, or certainly you've heard something about it or something. And we, and we, we understand the implications of the, of the Christmas message. Most of us do. We understand that it, that it means the Son of God, the, the sinless, eternal Son of God, came to earth, took on flesh, born of a virgin, so that He might go to a cross and pay for our sins. That's the Christian message that has been heralded for 2,000 years. But, but what I want to look at in the way of a lesson today are lessons that we can apply specifically to our life that come from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. So, beginning in verse 1, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth, This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Let me just stop there and say that that the way the Romans kind of did this, the way they kind of kept up and tracked everybody, is that you would return to your home, to to your heritage home, if you will, to the home that your family line came from. And uh, for... Mary and Joseph, this was Bethlehem. They were of the house and the lineage of David, who had been king at one time. They were, they were from that line, and so they were required to go back to their ancestral home, as were millions of other people. Joseph, verse 4, Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register to register for the census, along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger 
because there was no room for them in the end. Time permitting, I, I want to just give you three lessons that, that I pull from Luke chapter 2 that I hope will help you as you think about them today in your life. Lesson number one, let's just get right to it. Lesson number one is this. God's timing is always perfect. God's timing is always perfect. Now, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor, and everyone was on its way to register for the census, each to his own city. Now, in those days, and it came to pass. But why did it have to take so long to come to pass? Come on, let's be honest. In the midst of our lives and the stuff that goes on in our lives, how many of you at some time or another have, have asked the question, maybe just in your heart, but you've asked the question, God, why does it have to take so long? Why does it have to, have to be all of this? God, wouldn't it, wouldn't it just be better if you just act it now and then the whole thing is over? And God, why does your timing have to be this? Anybody ever ask that? Yeah. God's timing is always perfect. Here's uh, Mary and Joseph, and they're on their way to Bethlehem. Now, one of the things you need to understand historically is that this is, this is during the time and taking place in this, in this nation called Israel. It's about 2,000 years ago. Israel at the time is being controlled or dominated or, or, uh, or owned, almost if you will, by the Romans. The Roman Empire, which controlled all of the known world at that time. Now this wasn't anything new for the Jews to be, to be uh, subject to a people outside of themselves who have come in and taken control of them. They, they had been uh, conquered by the Assyrians. They had been conquered by the Medes and the Persians. They had been conquered by the Babylonians. They had been conquered by the, the Greeks. And now it was the Romans' turn. They, they, they called the shots. They ruled the roost. They, they let the, the Jews pretty much live their daily lives as long as they acted within the confines of the laws and the regulations and the rules that the Roman government, as long as you don't step out of line, then, then me and you are probably going to be okay. But if you do, the Roman government will act and act swiftly. And they were oppressive. And the Jews have been looking for Messiah. You ever heard that term? Messiah. It basically means the anointed one or the deliverer. See, for hundreds of years prior to this point, for hundreds of years, God's word through the prophets had promised that there was a day coming when the deliverer would come. So the Jews are looking for that day. And in their mind, here's what they're thinking. Oh, I can't wait till Messiah comes. Because when Messiah comes, he is going to throw off this bondage. He is going to throw off these, these oppressors. He's going to put them down. He's going to destroy them. And, and he's going to restore Israel to, the, to its glory days. And, and, and we're, we're just going to be a great nation again. And, and God's going to just take care of these Romans. Of course, before then, they were saying he's going to take care of the, uh, the, the Assyrians. Well, well, now he's going to take care of the Babylonians. Well, now he's going to take care of the Medes. Well, now he's going to take care of the Greeks. And they, for hundreds of years, they've been, oh, God, send Messiah, send Messiah. Why did it have to take so long for that kind of thing to happen? God's timing is always perfect. I, uh, 
my middle son, Todd, when he was a little boy. I, our oldest son, JC, he must have already been in school at that time because Todd, every day, we lived, we lived out, out of town quite a way. We lived this long dirt road. And uh, our mailman, his name was Gilbert. Gilbert would come. He was a rural carrier, and he would come and deliver the mail every day. And, uh, and he would always, one of the things he would always do is, because Todd would go out and get the mail, Gilbert would leave Todd a piece of money. It might be a penny, it might be a dime, sometimes it might even be a quarter, but he'd always leave him a piece of money. So Todd, oh, buddy, that was like, you know, he probably still got that money. I don't know. He'd... So every day he'd run out. Well, one day, Todd was messing around. I don't know what he was doing, messing around in the house or, or whatever, but he didn't hear Gilbert come up uh, until he was already at the box. And either he heard the motor running then or the, the door open up or the mailbox or whatever. But he jumps up and he goes running out there. And as he, he's running through the yard, and I'm standing in the, in the living room, look at this, as, he, as he's running out the yard, Gilbert is pulling away, you know. And, he, and just like Gilbert always does, you know, he say, bye, little buddy. You know, he drove a Chevy Chevette. He's driving off, driving off in his little Chevy Chevette. Um, and, and so Todd gets out to the mailbox. And he has to stand on his tiptoes, you know, to look in this mailbox Oh, it made my calf cramp up. <laughs> Don't do that. So he, so, he, so he gets on his tiptoes and he pulls down the box. And for whatever reason, Gilbert didn't leave a piece of money that day. He left a piece of gum. I don't, maybe he was short on change. I don't, whatever, but he, didn't, he left a piece of gum. So Gilbert, you know, by this time, he has pulled away and he's heading down the road and the dust starts flying and stuff. And so, so Todd pulls that, that gum out and he looks at that gum and he looks in the mailbox and he looks down the road at Gilbert. He looks back at the gum, and he looks in the mailbox, and he looks back at Gilbert, and he looks at the gum one more time. And, of course, by this time, you know, Gilbert is a, is a distant memory. You know, it's just nothing but dust is all. You can barely faintly hear, you know, that Chevette <laughs> somewhere way, way down the road. And he looks one more time at the gum. He looks one more time at the mailbox. And he turns, and he says, hey, you forgot the money. <laughs> I'll never forget that. And, I, uh, and I, my first thought was, kid, that is lousy timing. <laughs> Should have said something a little sooner. <laughs> God's timing is always perfect. Never misses it. Never misses the mark. Hey, can I show you a passage of Scripture that we don't really think of as a Christmas passage, but it's perfect. Galatians chapter 4 says this, but when the fullness of the time came, this is always God's time, not ours. But when the fullness of, time, of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. In other words, all that went with living in this, in this world. In order that he might redeem those who were under the law, that's us, that we might receive the adoptions as sons. The perfect time. Let, let me just real quickly, I don't have a lot of time, let me just give you just a few ideas of why God's timing was so perfect at the coming of Messiah. Because why did he wait till that particular moment in history to, to step in and send us? Why then? Here's just a couple things for you to think about. For one thing, 2,000 years ago, at the time that, that this is taking place, was the first time really in all of recorded history that you had a government in place that really was in control of the entire world, the entire known world. And there had been other empires, but they had never fully controlled the various vast areas that they had conquered. The Romans had begun to establish laws, and those laws were good across borders, against, against, uh, across nationalities, whatever it was. Roman law was Roman law, whether you were in Rome or in Ephesus or in Thessalonica or 
or Timbuktu, Rome's law was Rome's law. And so what happened was, suddenly, it was much easier to pass from one country to another to travel because it was just all one big empire. See, that, that had never happened before. Before, you, you, might not, you might get killed before you even got there. You couldn't cross into another country. Or you, but now, it was all Roman Empire. And so suddenly, travel became much easier. Well, why does that matter? Why, why does God care about that? Because remember why he came. He came so that he might pay the penalty for my sins. And for yours, by the way. And for every other person who would come unto him. But as Paul writes in Romans, how shall they believe unless they hear? And how shall they hear unless... One is sent forth, a, a preacher, a proclaimer. Suddenly it made it possible for men like Paul and, and Silas and Barnabas and, and others, even missionaries that we've talked about this morning, to go forth and to, to go into vast areas and to share the message of Jesus like they've never done before. God's timing was absolutely perfect on that. One of the things the Roman government did was build roads. Do you know that some of the, go, some of the roads built by the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago are still in use today? Did you know that? They can't keep I-40 going for three months. You know, and I'm telling you, there's still roads built by the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago that are still in use. Well, guess what that did? Suddenly, you could travel from this point to this point in about 10 times the speed that you once could to travel, to travel over mountains or, or, or whatever. The, this road system, it was perfect. It was absolutely perfect for the possibility for, for a message to suddenly get disseminated whoom, everywhere. Never happened before. Perfect timing. Let me tell you another reason it was so perfect. For the first time, really, in history, you had a universal language. One of the things that the Greeks did, the Greeks, remember, they were just before the Romans. Just, one of the things that the Greeks did was that they, they imported, they were, this was very important to them, they imported their, their culture into the countries that they conquered, their philosophies, their music, their literature, their, their belief systems, and their language. And Greek became the universal language. So even long after the Greeks were conquered and, and were gone, their culture lived on. They, it, it was, it was, as a name for it, it was called to be Hellenized is what it meant, or is what, what the word was, to be Hellenized, which essentially means to make Greek. The Greeks said, we're going to make everybody Greeks. Well, they got conquered, but their language stayed on. Now you understand why the Old Testament, about 200 years before Jesus was born, was translated into Greek and why the New Testament was originally written in Greek. It became the universal language. It's, it's like today. You can, I promise you, you can go to India or China or, you know, somewhere now. You can go anywhere, and you, and you can find somebody that speaks English. English has become pretty much the universal language. You could go over there, and you might not find somebody that spoke your native tongue, but you could find somebody that spoke Greek. So if you spoke Greek and they spoke Greek, you could talk, and you can say, well... Nobody speaks Greek. Well, the Greeks do, and, and a lot more people did back then. So God's timing was perfect. Now, I say that to you just to remind you that in the midst of whatever you're going through in your life, and you're wondering, what in the world? God, would you just move? Would you just act? Would you just do something? God's timing is always perfect. I, I can't tell you when it will be. I'm just telling you, when you're walking in His will, God will accomplish His purposes in His perfect timing. Can I get you just to say that with me this morning? Just, just, just say this. God's timing is always perfect. Ready? God's timing is always perfect. It's always what? One more time? Perfect. That's good. God's timing is always perfect. 
Don't forget that. Because I know there's times when we're tempted to say, oh, get me out of here. I, I can promise you on the authority of God's word, God has not abandoned you or forgotten you. He has a purpose in his timing. Let me get to the second lesson here this morning. His timing is always perfect. Second, his path is seldom smooth. I hate this one, don't you? Come on, God! Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house, the family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. You know, when we think about you know, Mary, man, Mary's famous, and she is, I guess she's the most famous woman in the world. More postage stamps have been printed with Mary's face on it than even Elvis. I mean, this, this glorious blessing of being able to, to give birth to the Messiah, what every Jewish girl had longed for that they might have the privilege of doing this, and Mary gets to do all this, and we think, oh, it's so wonderful for Mary. But can, can you just put yourself in her shoes for just even a few moments this morning and what, what it must have been like? <laughs> it, would, it wouldn't, I know you will find it hard to believe, but it wouldn't take long for the rumor mill to start flying. Okay, right? Yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, have y'all heard? Mary's pregnant. What? Her and Joseph aren't even married. I know, I know. Hey, Joseph's saying he's not even the dad. Oh. <laughs> you know, think about it. Now you think about it. Now, I'm, not a, I'm not a late, but, but we, you got to go home, right? I mean, here, this angel, and you, you read the counter, this angel comes and tells you, hey, hail, highly favored one, you're going to have a baby. And Mary said, well, I haven't been with a man yet. And, and the angel said, well, that's really not a problem for God. He can handle that kind of stuff. And, and so you gotta, you got to tell your parents, right? Because sooner or later, she's going to start showing. I don't know if she waited a week or two or a month. But sooner or later, you got to tell somebody. you got to say, Mom, Dad, I, I need you all to sit down a minute. You know, really, you better sit. <laughs> I'm pregnant. Oh, my holy, I'm pregnant. I, I've, I've not been with Joseph. No, I've been with who? With the, no, I haven't been with anybody. <laughs> I'm are they going to believe you? Would your parents believe you? Would Joseph? Is he going to believe her? Joseph, I, I love you with all my heart. I tell you, I've been with no man, but I'm with child. It's from the Holy Spirit. God has a plan for us. A wonderful plan, but not a smooth path. It seldom is, right? I read this book years ago. Um, every once in a while, I just, I just like to pull it back out again. Great book, uh, Chuck Swindoll, Improving Your Serve. It's probably about 20 years old, I, I don't know. But he, he wrote a whole series of books along, along with this, Strengthening Your Grip and all that. Great book. If y'all ever looking for some stuff to read, Swindoll's a great writer. Um, but in this book, Chuck Swindoll tells this story about a young man that he met at uh, Trinity Evangelical uh, Seminary. And, well, let me just read the story to you because it, it kind of illustrates this idea that I'm talking about, that the path is not always smooth. Because, right, we think this. This is just natural for us. Well, I'm, I, I want to walk in God's will. I want to do it God's way. So God's going to bless me, right? That, that message is propagated a lot if you listen on TV. Oh, it's going to be good for me. It's never going to be hard. It's, it's always going to be a smooth path because I'm, I'm going to walk. Late one spring, he was praying about having a significant ministry the following summer. He's, remember, he's a seminary student. Aaron is a seminary student. 
So it's in the spring, he's summer, he said, man, God, give me a ministry this summer. He asked God for a position to open up on some church staff or Christian organization. Well, of course he did, right? Where ministry's got to take place. (laughs) Nothing happened. Summer arrived, still nothing. Days turned into weeks, and Aaron finally faced reality. He needed any job he could find. He checked the want ads, and the only thing that seemed a possibility was driving a bus in Southside Chicago. Nothing to brag about, but it would help with tuition in the fall. After learning the route, he was on his own, a rookie driver in a dangerous section of the city. It wasn't long before Aaron realized just how dangerous his job really was. A small gang of tough kids spotted the young driver and began to take advantage of him. For several mornings in a row, they got on, walked right past him, and without, without paying, ignored his warnings and rode until they decided to get off. All the while making smart remarks to him and others on the bus, Finally, Aaron decided that had gone on long enough. The next morning after the gang got on, as usual, Aaron saw a policeman on the next corner, so he pulled over and reported the offense. The officer told them to pay or get off. They paid, but unfortunately, the policeman got off, and they stayed on. And when the bus turned another corner or two, the gang assaulted the young driver. When he came to, blood was all over him, his shirt, two teeth were missing, both eyes were swollen, his money was gone, and the bus was empty. After returning to the terminal and being given the weekend off, our friend went to his little apartment, sank onto his bed, and stared at the ceiling in disbelief. Resentful thoughts swarmed in his mind, confusion, anger, and disillusionment added fuel to the fire of his physical pain, and he spent a fitful night wrestling with the Lord. Been there, done that. How can this be? Where's God in all of this? I genuinely want to serve Him. I prayed for a ministry. I was willing to serve Him anywhere, do anything, and this is the thanks I get. On Monday morning, Aaron decided to press charges with the help of the officer who, he, who had encountered the gang and several who were willing to testify as witnesses against the thugs. Most of them were rounded up and taken to the local county jail. Within a few days, there was a hearing before the judge In walked Aaron and his attorney, plus the angry gang members who glared across the room in his direction. Suddenly, he was seized with a whole new series of thoughts. Not bitter ones, but compassionate ones. His heart went out to the guys who had attacked him. Under the Spirit's control, he no longer hated them. He pitied them. They needed help, not more hate. What could he do or or say? Suddenly... After there had been a plea of guilty, Aaron, to the surprise of his attorney and everybody else in the courtroom, stood to his feet and requested permission to speak. Your Honor, I would like you to total up all the days of punishment against these men, all the time sentenced against them, and I request that you allow me to go to jail in their place. The judge didn't know whether to spit or wind his watch. (laughs) Both attorneys were stunned. And as Aaron looked over at the gang members whose mouths and eyes looked like saucers, he smiled and said quietly, it's because I forgive you. The dumbfounded judge, when he reached a level of composure, said rather firmly, young man, you're out of order. This sort of thing has never been done before. To which the young man replied with genius insight, oh, yes, it has, your honor. Yes, it has. It happened over 19 centuries ago when a man from Galilee 
paid the penalty that all mankind deserved. And then, for the next three or four minutes, without interruption, he explained how Jesus Christ died on our behalf, thereby proving God's love and forgiveness. He was not granted his request, but the young man visited the gang members in jail. He led most of them to faith in Christ, and he began a significant ministry to many others in Southside Chicago. He passed a tough exam, and as a result, a large door of ministry, the very thing he prayed for, opened up before him. Through the pain of abuse and assault, Aaron began to get a handle on serving others. Forgiving, like giving, improves your serve. His path is seldom smooth. That's, that's not the way it's supposed to go, right? That's, that's not how I'm supposed to do ministry. That's not the way it works out significantly. But yet it was. In your life, if you seek to do it God's way, on behalf of the church, let me say to you, I apologize to you if in some way you were misled to believe that if you just come to Jesus, boy, everything's good for you from now on. Because it's not true. Oh, you're in right relationship with Him and, and, and you have a place in eternity waiting for you. But God's path is seldom smooth. Real quickly, real quickly, let me tell you just a couple reasons why, just I think, that God, one, a couple reasons why I think God's path is not always smooth. One is, it's just the sheer fact that we live in a sin-cursed world. Bad things happen in a sin-cursed world. We're, we're surrounded by it. We're bombarded by it constantly. And in a world where, where sin exists, then you can just count on pain and suffering and disappointment and, and sadness and heartache. Those things exist too. So, so part of the reason things happen is, is just the world in which we live. That's, that's one of the reasons why we long for this place someday where those things will be no more. But one, another reason I believe that God doesn't allow our path to always be smooth is simply this. Think of it this way. If God made your path, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're here and you've, and you've decided, yes, I'm throwing in with the Jesus camp, I believe, he's, I believe that he can give me life like I've never experienced before and eternal life, I'm going with him. If you're a follower of Jesus and God suddenly just, you know, everything opens up before you, oh, and it's just smooth sailing and you, you get every promotion and you get, your car never breaks down and you, never, I mean, everything is just fantastic for you, it's, it's awesome. If God did that for you, well, for one thing, there wouldn't be any empty seats back there today, would there? I mean, everybody, right? Everybody be jumping on the God bandwagon, right? Because, hey, God's going to give me money, and God's going to protect me, and, and God's going to take care of me, and I'm never going to suffer, and I'm, I don't have to worry about getting cancer or anybody, because I'm with God, and everything's good. Everybody be jumping on the God bandwagon, right? And, and we say... Well, hello, isn't that what we want? Don't we want everybody jumping on the God's bandwagon? Yes, we do, but for the right reasons. God wants people to come to him because they recognize their need for him. God wants people to come to him because they understand that, that they, have, they have violated his law, they've sinned and they've come short of his mark, and they need a relationship with him. God wants people to come to him because they want to, not because of something they think they can get from him. And there's a difference. Do you understand? So, like it or not, 
Part of the reason God doesn't just make it smooth sailing for us is because he wants our very lives through the midst of the struggle to actually become trophies of grace to the world around us. Because the world around us suffers just like you and I do. They get the cancer diagnosis. They get in the wrecks. Their cars break down. This happens to them. That happens to them. They go through divorces. All this stuff happens. And when they can see the people of God with the peace of God in their lives, even in the midst of that turmoil and that storm, going through it and and coming through it on the other side with strength and peace and and assurance that God is in control, what do you think that says to them? I think it says, I I, want to know more about that God. I want to know about that guy. His path is seldom smooth. I'm sorry. I I sometimes wish I could say it was different. I I can't... His timing is always perfect. His path is seldom smooth. And one more final idea. God's way is rarely our way. Uh, Look at verse 6 and 7. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger. Why? Because there was no room for them in the inn. Forget the inn. Do you think Mary, in her wildest dreams, ever thought that she would give birth to the Son of God in a stable and lay him in a cattle trough? Is, is that the way she envisioned it in her mind? I think not. Forget the end. She, I mean, you've got to be thinking, all right, he's got a palace. God's going to put me in a palace. Because he, he's sending his son. He, he's, he's sending the king of the universe. And God says, no, that's, that's not the way I'm going to do it. I, I've got a different plan. I've got a different way of doing it. God's way is rarely our way. I know we wish it was, and we said, God, I kind of got this figured out. Now, if you'll just listen to me, we'll get through this real quick. <laughs> it's going to work out. And, and you're, you know, you're still going to get the glory, and, and, you know, and I'm going to get to do... It just, it just doesn't always work that way. I'm, I wouldn't say that never, but I would say rarely is God's way our way. It's just not. When, when things happen in your life and you wonder where God is, all I can tell you is, is that He has a plan. And it's probably not going to be the same as yours, but if you'll trust him through it and in the midst of it, I can't tell you that it will be better, the situation, but I can tell you with absolute certainty you will be better as a result of going through it. Whatever it is, as a result of going through it, you will be better. What we're really talking about here today when we said his his timing is perfect, his, his path is seldom smooth, his, his way is rarely our way. What we're really talking about here is, is a faith issue. It's really what it comes down to. Am I going to trust? Am I going to believe God in the midst of my circumstance and my, whatever I'm going through, whether it's, it's school or it's family or it's, it's future or it's job or it's work or it's health or it's whatever it is. Am I going to trust God? Am I going to believe that God is with me and is not going to forsake me? I know that's what his word says, but that's not what my circumstances look like. Am I going to believe God or am I going to believe what I see happening around me? That's the choice that you and I have to make. That's the choice Mary and Joseph had to make. Trust God or trust their circumstances. They chose God. They chose to do it and go God's way. What do you choose? Great lesson to learn if we'll get a hold of it today. Timing is always perfect. Wait on it. path is seldom smooth. Count on it. And His way is rarely our way. Trust in it, and just let God be God in your life. What a wonderful story, the miracle of Christmas. Today, we were reminded from that story that God's timing is always perfect, not only for Mary and Joseph, but for us as well. 
And that's a great lesson for all of us to learn when we're tempted to give in to our fears and our doubts. But we also learned that God's path is seldom smooth. I'm sure we'd like for it to be, but as we learn today, God has His reasons for why we sometimes have to go through difficult circumstances. And finally, we learned that God's way is rarely my way. Mary probably never dreamed that things would go the way they did, but Mary and Joseph trusted God in spite of their circumstances. Our lives rarely go the way we want them to either, but trusting God and walking by faith enables us to move forward in confidence, knowing that God has a plan. Thanks for being with us today, and we hope you can join us later this week at Leesville Road High School. We invite you to celebrate the birth of our Savior on Christmas Eve at 545. Come early for coffee and desserts and the live nativity starting at 5 p.m. It'll be a great time of fellowship, caroling, scripture reading, special music, and a candle lighting service. We hope to see you Christmas Eve at Cross Culture. With the new year quickly approaching, 2010 would be a great time to resolve to become a part of a church family. And we'd love to have you visit with us in the near future. We invite you to join us for our weekly cross-culture worship with upbeat Christ-centered music and timely encouraging biblical messages celebrating the goodness of our God and what it means to be in a relationship with Him. Cross Culture Church meets Sunday mornings at 1030 in the auditorium at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture, you'll find a community of believers with the desire to be used by God to show that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where you'll find what you're looking for. Cross-Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. Cross-Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.